You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome yet again to Grace Community Church. This has been a very full day. This is your first day um, here. It's not always like this. In fact, it's not been like this in the 20 years that I recall anyway. Of course, there are a lot of things that I don't recall that have happened in the past. And a lot of things that have not happened that I do recall. So uh, that's just the way it is at this point. But <clears throat> So actually, uh, youth, I've got a sabbatical coming up. Um, the elders, because I recall so many things that didn't happen and vice versa, said, this is a good time for you to take a little... No, I'm just kidding. But we are, Allison and I, after today, you'll see us on July 8th. And that's just about it. So we're, we're going to be uh, actually traveling a lot of that time, but also taking some time to refresh and pray and, and, and get in the Word and, and get into some other kind of literature as well. Just spend time reading and resting. So please uh, pray for us as we do that. I, I know a lot of announcements have been made today. I've been a little distracted running to and fro we had a discovery lunch scheduled for after lunch today. Only one person signed up, and that's quite all right. We'll, we'll push that to another time. We will not be doing that uh, today. Uh, also, uh, we need to be in prayer for Dave Knight, one of our missionaries. We don't know the details. Um, Chris and Kenzie is piecing this together from Facebook uh, post, uh, different Facebook post, but he has apparently had surgery and is in pretty serious condition in Vienna, and this is out of the blue. Vienna, Austria's wife, is Wynn, is, is flying up from Australia. She said she quickly went up there, and as, as Kristen pointed out, you don't quickly go anywhere from Australia. So she's trying to get to him, and maybe already has, but please be in prayer. In fact, let me just, let me just uh, lead us in prayer for Dave. Father... Um, we are here today because of the gospel of Jesus Christ affecting so many of our lives. And of all the people we know, Dave Knight is one who shares the gospel faithfully, readily, anywhere with any person uh, that you bring him in contact with. So Lord, uh, our brother is hurting in a in a, in a place far away from his home. And we pray we don't know what the circumstances are, but we know it's got to be fairly serious. Uh, and so we pray that the doctors would discover any issues that are troubling him and be able to fix it. And that you would bring our brother back to health and be with Wynn. Open uh, the path for her, Lord. Make the, make the path smooth for her as she tries to get to him. And as she ministers to him, we just pray that you'll be with our, our dearly uh, loved friends, the Knights. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the staff was planning the worship service this week, uh, a phrase kept coming to my mind. A day in the life of our church. We have, through baptism, corporately affirmed that 
we believe our brothers and sisters belong to Jesus and are in the family of God. We have, through examination and testimony, officially welcomed members into the family known as Grace Community Church. We have reminded high school graduates that they are and ever will be a part of our church family. We send them out with the blessing of the Lord, uh, encouraging, encouraging them and praying that they will be great commission. Christians and share the love of Christ wherever they go. Beautiful, beautiful prayers from Leah and Jacob this morning. Thank you guys for your hearts. We have the most awesome youth ministry team. We have the most awesome children's ministry, nursery teams you can possibly imagine. I don't know how often you give thanks to the Lord and you pray for these guys, but please Lift them up often and lift up our graduates who are going away from us to represent both Jesus first, Jesus, and then us at Grace Community Church. After the message this morning, we're going to gather at the Lord's table to receive the bread and the fruit of the vine which the Lord has made available to us to remind us of the great sacrifice and great love that God had for us in sending Jesus, his son, to be sacrificed on our behalf. Today is a great day in the life of Grace Community Church. And this morning, we arrive at Isaiah 30. Now, if you are just coming here, if you're only here one day, we're in the middle of a year-long um, study of the book of Isaiah. Uh, and so, if you need a little context, there are sermons on the, on, on the website that you can go to. If it feels like, for those of you who have been here for this whole series, if it feels like we've been here before, it's because this series in Isaiah was open in uh, Isaiah 30, taking a brief look at Isaiah 30, 15. For thus says said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. Now, most of the time when people quote Isaiah 30, 15, they leave off those last four words. But you were unwilling. Because it's right in the middle of a section where there's a great deal of back and forth. It's just a, a, a microcosm of the book of Isaiah as a whole. There's good news, there's bad news, it's going back and forth. Ultimately, the message of Isaiah is that you have sinned and turned your back on the Lord who has been gracious to you. You've put your trust in humanity rather than in God. But if you will return to Yahweh in repentance, if you will turn to Him in repentance and faith and put your trust in Him, you will be saved from your enemies. Now, that was an Old Testament Context, of course, the leaders of the nation of Judah <clears throat> were looking to Egypt to save them from Assyria. Earlier, they had been looking uh, to Assyria to save them from Israel and Syria. And so, you know what happened. Assyria beat those other two nations. We'll see a map in just a few minutes. It'll bring some context to it. And now Assyria was knocking <coughs> at uh, Judah's door. <coughs> and <coughs> so they're looking to Egypt. We are not promised physical protection from our enemies in these New Testament days. In fact, the promise that we have mentioned several times, I've mentioned several times the last few weeks, anyone who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We are promised, though, as believers, as followers of Christ, we're promised 
deep communion with Jesus and eternal life forever because of what he did for us by dying on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners. You cannot believe how beautifully the hope and the peace that we have in Christ was evidenced and expressed this morning when Ellie Wall told me, I'm going to have surgery on Wednesday. And if it's my time, it's okay. I'll either get better or I'll be in the presence of Jesus. Is that not what we all want? To have? We want to have that, that spirit. It, it, it's easier for those of us that are moving towards Ellie's age than it is for some of you younger ones. But the Lord calls us all to trust Him at that level because everything is going to be all right. When we repent of our sins and trust Jesus' death as payment for our sins, we are saved by the one who loved us at such level. What the Lord is saying in Isaiah is quit trying to fix things yourself. And what he says to us in the New Testament is quit trying to get to heaven by doing things good enough that you think you'll get there. That's the way a lot of people think about heaven. If I'm good enough, and good enough, by the way, means just being better than several others that you can find, usually. But if I can just be good enough, God will welcome me into heaven. If my good works outweigh my bad, and he's like, no, no, that's not what it's about at all. You need to just trust me. Our series in Isaiah is really not much more of an overview of this grand prophetic Old Testament book. Oh, even though we're spending the better part of a year in Isaiah. In chapters 28 through 35, this section that we're in right now, the message is the same. Quit looking for your salvation in anything other than the Lord. The circumstances are different for us, but the message is the same to God's covenant people. This morning, I'm going to read a small portion of Isaiah 30. Then after prayer, I will share five points of application, but most of the time is going to be spent on the first point. Our scripture reading comes from Isaiah 30, verses 18 to 20, and it's our custom to stand as the scriptures read. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Remember, of course, whatever you see, therefore, you know you're in the middle of something, and it's just not... Time to read it all. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice or judgment. Justice and judgment. Same thing when God's in charge. Blessed are those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion. In Jerusalem you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, even though your life is hard, even though it doesn't make sense, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. Here's something really cool that I, I don't have time to talk about in the context of the or in the text of the sermon, the bulk of the sermon. Teacher is, is plural, and it, and it indicates the plurality of greatness of God. Now, when Christians look at, at the Old Testament and we see God given in a plural form, like uh, the Lord says, let us create in this way, let us do this, let us do that, we think of the Trinity. Jewish scholars, Jewish people would not think of the Trinity at all, but just a magnificent God. 
That's the benefit of the gospel. We get, when we get the gospel, we get to say, that's what he was talking about. But don't be careful. If you're ever witnessing to, to Jewish people, they're not impressed with your discovery of the Trinity in the Old Testament. They just understood this as this magnificent God, and it meant the world to Isaiah. Isaiah wouldn't have understood the Trinity. But we understand now that the Trinity was very much in play in Isaiah. Isaiah 6, remember, was Jesus. John 12 tells us. So anyway, sorry to, to break the reading up like that. But look at that verse again. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher, Jesus, we see, your teacher, this magnificent God, will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then you will deliver your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. The word of God for the people of God. Father, we are grateful on so many levels that you have given us your word. You have given us an understanding of who you are, who we are in your sight, and how we are to relate to you. We know, Father, as we read all of Scripture, that that is through Christ. We're grateful for his sacrifice and for what that means to us, to we who believe. Let's open our hearts and fill them full with your word, and, and truly with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, be seated. So we'll jump right into the application of the truth of Isaiah 30, beginning with this. Seeking deliverance apart from the Lord is futile. Would you agree with that? Would you say that your life has indicated that you believe that this past week even? It's a hard thing to do. Earlier in Isaiah, we encountered wicked King Ahaz, who not only looked to exceedingly wicked Assyria to protect Judah from Israel and Syria, but Ahaz also worshipped pagan gods in hopes that they would protect Judah. Now think about it. Yahweh, who has this special relationship with Judah, is being led by a man who worships these God and gods, and in his worship, he sacrifices his son in a fiery ceremony. He throws his son in the fire and praying, Oh, Molech, oh, Baal, save us from our enemies. This made Yahweh rather sad, don't you think? Oh, Ahaz is worshiping pagan gods. What I, I don't know what I'm going to do with that boy. You know that's not the case. Yahweh was angry because he was and he is a jealous God. Anger, jealousy. Does that sound like a perfect God to you? Well, that's the wrong question, isn't it? The question is, do we have a perfect and holy God? Yes, we do. Then his anger and his jealousy 
are perfect as well. Do you remember the dating days? You remember those dating days? For some of you, uh, the question is, do you long for those dating days? Uh, Probably so. In fact, you won't hear anything I say for the next five minutes. You'll be thinking about him or her. Um, Do you remember when your boyfriend or girlfriend would get so jealous when someone would show interest in you? I mean, it probably helped if you were the kind uh, of person who was very gentle and responsive. In return, someone showed interest in you and you showed interest right back. That made your boyfriend or girlfriend, that calmed it down a little bit. No, that made it a lot worse. Jealousy can be nice because it can demonstrate how much someone loves you. But it can go sour in a moment and turn into something quite ugly. The jealousy that a perfect father has for his children though. Children he created and redeemed is a different story. That's why God is perfectly hurt and perfectly angry when his children look toward anyone or anything other than him that promises life and peace and security. So by the time we reach Isaiah 30, relatively good king Hezekiah, that's how I call Hezekiah, relatively good king Hezekiah. Listen, fact is, he was an awesome king, but he was just like the rest of us. He had... He had some fear in him, and, he, and, and, and so in spite of himself, he, he, he could not help but looking to other places for, for, for help. But, but Hezekiah had replaced wicked king Ahab by this point as the leader of God's people, Judah. Hezekiah broke down the pagan altars in Jerusalem. He restored worship of Yahweh. Uh, here's what, what is said about Hezekiah in 2 Kings uh, 18. Beginning with verse 5. He, Hezekiah, trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. Now, this sounds like exceptionally good King Hezekiah. He was, but he had his flaws, as we will see. Now, Ahaz had made a contract with the devil. Israel and Syria, as you see on the map, they were attacking Judah, Syria and Israel. And then Judah said, Assyria, who was a really nasty nation with a nasty king, they said, would you please protect us? We'll give you a bunch of money. And, and, of course, as it goes in those days, we'll worship your gods if you'll just protect us. And so Assyria conquered Syria and Israel. And Judah ended up worshiping many pagan gods because their leader Ahaz led them to do so. By the time Ahaz dies, Hezekiah has gotten in charge. And he's not having anything to do with Assyria. This, this guy is a good guy. He's, he celebrated Passover with great passion. Um, but he was still worried that he couldn't trust God to completely keep Assyria out of Jerusalem. And so uh, Hezekiah 
This one who trusted Yahweh began looking to Egypt for help. But Egypt was almost done as an empire. And Yahweh, through Isaiah, mocked Hezekiah for sending envoys to Egypt. Traveling through the dangerous deserts between Israel and, and Egypt. While cobras and lions watch these silly men bear their gifts to Egypt in hopes of protection. It would be like you, if you in your neighborhood all of a sudden these gangs moved in and there was serious trouble. It would be like you taking all these gifts to the rest home and asking people in the rest home to come and give you protection. God mocked Judah. He mocked Hezekiah, his child that he loved very dearly. He mocked him for looking to Egypt for help. What was the solution? Trust Yahweh. Despite Hezekiah's foolish decision to seek help from Egypt, God would protect Judah in a remarkable way when Assyria advanced to the walls of Jerusalem. If you don't already know that story, you're going to hear it on July 1 when Neil Manning preaches, Lord willing and the baby don't come, but somewhere along in that time. If so, we'll hear from, from Neil at a later time. Uh, why would God bless Hezekiah and not Ahaz when they were both doing the same thing? They were looking outside of the Lord for protection. Because Ahaz's heart was dark. And he led the people of God into the worship of pagan gods with all the horrific practices that accompanied such worship. Hezekiah worshipped the Lord, celebrating the Passover with great passion, inviting those from the northern kingdom, those who were still around after Assyria's invasion. He called all of Judah to repentance of their sins and to trust in the Lord. His heart was good, but even Hezekiah, in a state of panic, put his temporary security in worldly means of protection. So let's think about that for just a little bit. Is it wrong to look to means of protection and security and, and the good life in this life other than the Lord. Um, it's wrong to look apart from the Lord, but it's not wrong at all to look for help with medical assistance and security systems and insurance. None of that is wrong. One of the ways that God has blessed us is to allow mankind to discover and develop many of the advances and amenities available to us today. We think we're so smart because we've invented all of these things. And it's all part of what was going on in Genesis 1. The Lord said, let the earth sprout. And it did. It brought forth vegetation. It's part of the process that God puts in, in place and it starts to grow. He created by fiat, let there be and there was. And he created by process. But when we depend on anything other than God for ultimate meaning and hope in this life or the next. Then we've turned away from God. God is not just a bigger us. He's not a bigger one of us who, who, who may be off somewhere tending to something else. So we don't want to bother him. We exist only because of God. And He exists totally independent of anything or anyone else who exists. Any creature, any part of creation, everything exists because of the Lord. 
Imagine how God feels when we say to him, I've got this one, God. I know you're busy with other things. I, I used to get, you know, back in the 50s and 60s and on television shows, and these people would pray to the Lord and they'd say, Lord, I don't mean to bother you none. You know I don't do it very often, but I got something that's just beyond me. The Lord wants us to look to him for everything. So it's, it, it's wrong to say, Lord, I don't need you. It's equally wrong to say, God, on the basis of my faith alone, I demand that you do such and such. Look, can I, can I ask you a favor? When you hear that someone is sick, someone has cancer, Someone has another issue that uh, it, it's pretty serious. May I ask you a question? Do that person a favor. And don't tell them about all the ways that you know that the doctors don't know to cure cancer. Do not. I know you think it's the best thing you can. I can tell you as one whose wife died after 13 months of sickness. It is the worst thing you can do. It's the worst thing you can do to say, if you'll just go here and pray for her, she'll live. And if she doesn't, it's your fault. And it's the worst thing to do to say, I know about this plan. Guess what? They'll see it. There's not a person in our congregation that doesn't have sense enough to go online and figure it out. Come alongside of that person. Tell them how much you love them. Weep with them. Cry. In the night, beg God to do what he's going to do. Do you realize what it's like to be faced with that out of the blue? When you least expect it, your mind is going in every direction. Now, Hezekiah looked away from the Lord. We are called to look to the Lord. What and where is the balance? Look, when you're faced with something major, and it may not be health at all. It may be a, a horribly broken relationship. It may be um, a, an employment relationship. It may be a legal issue. It could be anything. When you're faced with something, first, stop and pray. Acknowledging God the Father as both good and sovereign in all things. Confess Jesus as your comforter, your creator, and your redeemer. Believe that the Holy Spirit is your comforter and guide. And then pursue the resources that are available to you. Trusting God every step of the way. And never allow yourself to place your ultimate hope in this world. But rather, understand your hope to be eternity with Christ. As hope is defined in the New Testament, as full assurance. Not, I hope everything's going to be all right, but my hope is in eternity just like Ellie told us this morning. But wasn't Hezekiah pursuing resources when he went to Egypt? Well, yes. The difference is he had a direct word from God. Stay at home. Don't go to Egypt. This is ridiculous. I will take care of you. Just believe me and you will win this battle. I will defeat the Assyrians for you. Since 
Hezekiah, being a good king, pursued the resources anyway. He went to Egypt for help. God said, okay, well, I'm just going to have to teach you the hard way. And he backed Hezekiah into a corner. Again, you're going to hear about that on, on the first Sunday of July. And, and then delivered Israel in a remarkable way. By the way, that's just a principle. It's true. Look, when you run away from a problem, we talked about that last week. When you run away from a problem, it's going to come up again and again and again until you quit running. The Lord's just faithful like that. So, <clears throat> do not, let me encourage you, do not despise the point in your life where you can do nothing but trust God. That's actually not a bad place to be. When you have no hope but trusting God, you can't, you can't fix this on your own. I mean, there are things that can be done, but you have to trust God. Instead, thank God for the opportunity to trust Him at that level and seek wisdom, comfort, and deliverance from Him and trust His heart to always do, always do what is right. When you are in trouble, turn to God's Word, which is the focus of the second part of Isaiah 30 and our second point. To set aside God's word is to invite disaster. Now we tend to think in positive terms. In, in the New Testament it's mostly given in the positive and in the Old Testament it's mostly given in the negative but it's all important to us. And to set aside God's word is to invite disaster. I said earlier the first point of the message was the primary focus. The rest, everything just flows from our trust in the Lord. Our faith originates and is strengthened by God's word, which always accomplishes the purposes for which it was intended. Or the purpose for which it was intended. Our, uh, in Isaiah 30, God accused the people of not wanting to hear the word. In fact, the people were saying, in essence, it's not that they were saying, Isaiah, quit preaching. They were saying, Isaiah, preach good things to us. We want to hear the good stuff. Man, I need to hear how that everything's going to be just fine. And, and, and there are five easy ways to health and wealth and all that kind of stuff. Isaiah, though, wasn't about to do that. He would only speak what God told him to speak. Our responsibility is to pursue God's word and to, to obey what we understand in the power of the spirit. Because we don't have the power to obey it even in our own strength. Obey it in the power of the spirit and then trust God when things don't make sense. So once again, should we pursue? Is it okay to pursue protection uh, and the betterment of our positions? Absolutely. But only as we trust God Every step of the way. And as we seek to walk in wisdom. Which can only be found. When we're in the word. And the word is in us. If you abide in me. And my word abides in, it, my word abides in you. Ask what you will. And it will be done. Jesus said. In John 15. All the instruction to us in scripture. May not be as clear as it was to Isaiah. About Assyria. I mean, God doesn't tell us what to do with Russia and China and North Korea and Iran and, and, and Guatemala. He doesn't tell us what to do with the other nations. But he does tell us as the people of God, we as the church are now the people of God. He tells us to trust him and to walk in the wisdom that comes from his word. We can always trust God.
even when the circumstances argue against trusting him. God's word is a beautiful gift to us in a harsh and confusing world. The best news we will find in scripture is the focus of the third point. Salvation from a merciful God is readily available for those who repent and trust. We often have this picture of God in our mind with a permanent frown on his face and his arms folded and he's just waiting. You'd like to think that God is everywhere at all times, but he's so busy looking at you that you know that you just wonder sometimes. Ah! You just, he's, he's that kind of a God. Look, if, if that's the kind of God he is for disobedient children, we are all continuously in trouble with this this God that we have. Instead, we have a God who is ready to forgive our sins when we repent. We have a God who is long-suffering toward his disobedient children. And who pours out his blessings and mercy. Remember again Isaiah 30, 18. Written to King Hezekiah who was showing a lack of trust in the Lord. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. Again, remember, whatever is good for God's glory is good for his children. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Fourth. Those who persecute God's children will be severely punished by God. It may not seem so, but this is one of the ways that God looks after us. If we only see this world as winners and losers, then proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to a world that wants nothing to do with it is not the way to live. You will suffer for your faith. But when you live as God has called you to live, in humility and in trust, and when your heart is broken over those who do not know the Lord, and yet you leave the results of all of your evangelistic efforts in the hands of the Lord, well, God's going to take care of you. As we have said several times, when we read Isaiah in view of the cross of Jesus, who asked the Father to have mercy on those who had crucified him, we can pray for God to be merciful to others in the same ways that he is merciful to us. That's one of the hardest things you'll ever do when someone is being cruel to you, to pray that God will be merciful to him or her in the same way that you would want God to be merciful to you if you were in the wrong. And even as we pray for mercy, we can have confidence that God is able to do what we are incapable of doing, meeting out righteous justice. He's going to take care of the, the injustices. He's going to do it. We're incapable. We don't know where to stop. We get, the, we get a, the train going in one way or the other. We don't know how to say, okay, I think we've reached our... We just keep going. Isaiah made it clear that while God's people would be punished for their sins, it would be nothing in comparison to how Assyria would be punished for attacking God's people. It's not something we should revel in during our time here, but one day we will rejoice that God has defeated his enemies, who were often our enemies as well. When will we rejoice about that? When we are perfect in heaven. 
No rejoicing allowed in the downfall of your enemies between now and then. That's tough, isn't it? The last point comes again from Isaiah 30, 18. God's decisions are always right and always perfectly timed. Wow, the best thing to do would be to just be quiet for about five minutes. But being a preacher, I'm not going to do that. God is sovereign. God is good. When Isaiah said in verse 18 that God is a God of justice, it could have been translated that he is a God of judgment. The idea being, according to Alec Motyer, that he is a God who knows how to make the right decision at the right time. Think about that. You have a God who is able to make the right decision. He knows how to make the right decision at just the right time. You know what happens when we go into those places, don't you, where life just turns upside down and and it's surreal and we're numb. You're just numb. You can't, you don't even know what to do. That's the biggest problem. You don't know what to do. Here's the great thing about being a child of God. You have a father who knows how to make the right decision at the right time. When life hits hard and the troubles are unexpected as they often are. It's a time that Satan often will come to us and tempt us to question God. We may not question his sovereignty, but it's certainly tempting to question Why right now? I can't tell you how many times I've asked that. I don't ever question God and His goodness. But somehow I'm saying, I don't get this timing. I don't really say it to the Lord, but that's kind of what's in my heart. I can't answer that question for you or for me. I can confidently say that the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. I can say that he is a God who knows how to make the right decision at the right time. And blessed are those who wait on him or who trust him at all times. You know what it's like to be in the right place at the right time, don't you? You've had those times come. You also know what it's like to... You know, hear the, the horn blowing on the ship as it leaves the harbor and you're running, but it's too late. Your timing's not so good. You know what? God is in control of all that. Whatever you're facing, God is in control. And the way that God works in our lives Reminds us of how very control, in control of the way he works in the universe as a whole and with mankind. Reminds us he's in control of our lives. Galatians 4 tells us this. But when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Why did God send forth His Son? Because all of us, all of us were like good King Hezekiah who himself was a sinner. We are sinners as well. It's pretty good 
Hezekiah. It's only relatively good Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. Now, he looks really good compared to Ahaz. And again, we look at Ahaz all the time and say, you know, I'm all right. But we're not all right. Every one of us needs a Savior. There, there are none of us who are inclined to do good at all times and to keep the law with all of our hearts. We're all sinners. We need a Savior. That's why God sent Jesus to die for us. And we are commanded, we're invited to come to this table to be reminded that Jesus died for us. It reminds us that we're sinners. It reminds us that a great price was paid so that our sin would be eliminated, would be covered, would be taken away as far as the east is from the west. That price was Jesus' death on the cross when he lifted the cup of communion and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for the, for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was going to die in our place. I'm going to invite the elders and the deacons and the worship team to come forward. Uh, we will be partaking of this table at first. Here is the way we will do this today. Um, we're going to receive communion at the front of the church. The Lord's Supper will be provided for you. For each section, you'll go to the, to the elders or deacons who are in front of you, in front of your section. We'll come, out, come down these interior aisles. We'll go back up the middle or the outer aisles. Uh, there will be ushers to help you know uh, when you were to come forward. Um, the bread is uh, unleavened. It's gluten-free for those of you who need to know. And I know a lot more need to know than used to need to know about that. The elders will serve you in the front. You can either partake right here or as most of you can go back to your seat and maybe reflect for a moment as the worship team is leading us. Uh, in our worship of the Lord that happens both in our singing and in listening to the word and hearing the word and believing God it happens in every part of our service. Then as you go back and partake. In Luke 22, we're told, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. One of the most amazing things about Isaiah is how clearly we see God came into this world. He's very much connected with this world. A lot of people want to separate spiritual and secular. But God is right in the middle of everything drawing us to himself. And there are times it's appropriate to do that. But do not think of spiritual in the sense of it's all just this ethereal sort of notion that we have, a metaphysical idea about God that we just worship him, but he's really not a part of this world. He's right in the middle of this world. And Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I, I suffer. And then I won't eat again until the kingdom has come in full. We're not only looking backwards and we're thinking about our communion with one another as well as Christ on this day. But we're looking forward to his return as well. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup 
And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. That is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This meal is a meal for believers. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to come forward and partake. If um, you have not, you can come forward. Just don't partake. Stay at your seat. Probably best just to come and go through the line and just go right back. If you're unable to come for health reasons, raise your hand. Uh, We'll have someone at the back who will be helping you and come and serve you at your seat. Let's give thanks for this table that is before us. Father, today we acknowledge that in this life there is much pain and much that causes us doubt and fear and stress and concern. And it's good to be reminded that you will always take care of us. Because you took care of our sin. When Jesus came and lived perfectly. Keeping the law in every point. And thus became an eligible sacrifice. He was eligible to die in our place because he had never sinned. And when we trust him. With all of our hearts, we are saved. Thank you for this table, for the bread, Lord, in which we fellowship with you as Jesus' body was beaten and given for us. And for the the juice that reminds us that the blood of Christ was spilled for our sins. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we give thanks for this day. We confess to you our sins individually and corporately. We have much, Lord, that is not good in our lives. And so we confess. And we give thanks for the forgiveness that is in Christ. And that this table communicates to us. And we long for Jesus to come back and reign in glory when all things will be made right. So much is wrong in our world. And even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Commune with us as we commune with one another at this table. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear these words from 1 Peter. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are going on are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. After you have suffered a little while, 
the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.